And we're going to look at the, that old story, the rich young ruler or the rich young man. I've known a sermon on that for years, have you? No, no, no. So I thought we'd, uh, we'd have a look at that. So Matthew, sorry, Mark chapter 10 and from verse 17 onwards. I'll just read a bit of this. And it says, and he, that's Jesus, was setting out on his journey and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There is no one good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not fare false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. So let's have a look at this story. Let's work through it line by line. It says Jesus was setting out on his journey. In other words, Jesus is about to go somewhere. He's all set. He's all prepped. He's all ready. He's probably got his guys with him. So, like, okay, guys, let's go to the next village. Now, you know what it's like. You're all packed. You're all ready to go on holiday or go somewhere or go out. And then someone comes around your house and knocks on the door. And this is one of those moments, all right? A few people are like, oh, yeah, I've been there before. So Jesus is all ready to go. But suddenly this man turns up. Now, I remember reading years ago, this monk once said, um, he said, you know, if, if you're in your prayer cell and you're praying away, but someone knocks on your door, don't become so legalistic, like you must go away and I must pray. Uh, he said, you know, give them that time. And if anyone ever comes to you in, in a situation where actually you're really wanting to go somewhere, well, sometimes it's an opportunity for them to meet Jesus through you. So in this instance, he really was getting to meet Jesus. And so he's setting out his journey, this man, who runs up to him and knelt before him. So he's got, you know, he's got some tenacity and some humility because he kneels down in front of him. So uh, this is, have you ever had that? Those really keen, enthusiastic people <laughs> that come running up to you. I remember once years when I was a guitar teacher and guitaring, if you're a guitar teacher, the first thing you have to deal with is ego. Okay, so I used to teach, well, I didn't teach, when I went to the Guitar Institute in London, you'd have all of these young guitarists that all thought, that th thought they were so amazing, they could outplay and outperform their lecturers. And the lecturers, you know, they made it quite clear. Whatever it is you think you can do, I'm not impressed. Okay, so if we could just start there and we can move on from here. And so, so there's this young, I don't know what I'm going on about now, but anyway, there's this uh, rich young ruler. He runs up to Jesus, he kneels before him and he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. I always thought that was a weird thing to say, isn't it? Jesus is like that, isn't it? You ask him a question and he'll just come out with something like, well, what, do you, what do you mean? And this is one of those, what? Okay, so, so what's this guy saying? He's saying, good teacher. So this is the first point. The first thing that this guy does is he says, good teacher. What's wrong with that? Because then Jesus then kind of rebukes him a little bit. He said, well, there's only, not, there's only one who is good and that's God. 
Jesus isn't denying that he's God. He's actually trying to make this guy see that he's a little bit more than a good teacher. He's not just a great Bible teacher. He is something more than that. He is very God incarnate. He is God who's come amidst his people to talk to his people. So anyway, so this guy comes up to him. Good teacher. And we have to be careful of this in our own lives. Because, for example, when, when Jesus was preaching in his own hometown, people got offended at him. Why did they get offended at him? Because they were like, isn't this just the carpenter's son? This is just Jesus. We know who this is. What's the big deal about this guy? I've grown, you know, I've known Jesus since he was yay high up to where he is now. And, and people got offended at him because they thought they knew him, but they didn't perceive the calling and the anointing and the authority that was on him. And so they became offended by what they, ex what they experienced in the natural, but they didn't see the things of the spirit. And so this guy, he's coming up to Jesus. He, as far as he's concerned, Jesus is just a great rabbi, but he's failing to see exactly what and who is stood before him and the anointing and the power that Jesus represents. He failed to see it. Hence why Jesus is kind of gently but surely correcting him and chiding him a little bit. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Yeah. And then this is where it gets good. No one is good except God alone. He says, you know the commandments. Now, what I love about this verse, and this is something we all get, we can get ourselves caught up into. He says, good teacher, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what hoops, what things must I go through that I can obtain your favour, that I can obtain greater blessings, that I could obtain that secret to the life, to the universe itself, which is eternal life? What is it that I could possibly do in my strength, in my power, in my abilities to be able to get that reward? What is it that I can do? What is it that I must do to inherit eternal life? Now, in first century Judaism, there was a problem that you don't get in modern day Judaism. So if you talk to a Jew and you showed them the book of Romans and all that kind of, he wouldn't understand what Paul is going on about. What's this, what's this stuff about faith and works and, and you get saved through observing Torah? We don't believe that because modern day Judaism doesn't believe that. But first century Judaism did. Why? Because there were two rabbinical uh, major teachers at that time. There was the uh, rabbinical school of Hillel and the rabbinical school of Shammai. The rabbinical school of Shammai were the leading rabbinical authority in first century Israel. These were the serious, hardcore, hardline, absolute, doctrinal, black and white legalists. That even if you prayed on Shabbat, Again, beyond the prayers that were prescribed to you, it was a work, and thus you had broken Shabbat. That's how hardcore these guys were. That's why they were like, man, you can do any, you can heal any day of the week you like, but you will not do it on the Sabbath. That was the people that Jesus had to contend with. Those were the people that he kind of got really angry at. You Pharisees, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers, because they, they, they just didn't understand the heart or the spirit of the law. It was all about the letter of the law for them. And they taught that if you went through all of these processes and, and you followed the law meticulously, then maybe, just maybe, in the resurrection, you could be raised to the life of the just. Just maybe. A works-based salvation but there was another school of thought called the school of Hillel 
and they were much more moderate, much more calmer in their understanding of scripture. And they eventually became the predominant school or rabbinical teaching. And that's what we live in today. So modern day Ju Judaism is of the school of Hillel, which is very moderate. But back in the day of first century Israel, it was the school of Shemaiah. These were the hardcore zealots, full on, no compromise. Okay, really, you, you really didn't want to hang around with those guys. Fundamentally, it's a bit mental, not much fun. Okay, so moving on. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you ever fallen into that trap? What, what could I possibly do to obtain that special blessing from God? What is it that I could do to get more righteous and more holy in God? <laughs> you should know the answer to that by now. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus says, look, you know the commandments. Now, this is really interesting. Look what commandments he mentions, but the ones he doesn't mention. He says, do not murder. Yep, done that. Do not commit adultery in his understanding of Torah. He definitely hadn't done that at the time. Of course, Jesus then gave another side to that. Do not steal. Yep, never stolen. Do not bear false witness. Never lied. Okay, there's one to go with. Okay, so uh, do, where are we? Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. No, I've never done that. He's a rich man. I don't know. Honor your father and your mother. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he said to him, Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So this guy, I mean, you know, as far as he's concerned, he's jumped through all the hoops. He knows the right things to do. He's pressed all the right buttons. But, 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 but he, he knows inside of himself that he hasn't got what he's looking for. He just knows deep down that he hasn't got that eternal life and he doesn't have that assurance of eternal life. How many Christians have not got assurance of eternal life? I meet quite a few every now and then where they just, they're doing all this stuff thinking if I do that, if only I can make God happy with me, maybe I'll get eternal life. I really don't understand the message of the gospel if that's what they think. And I love how Jesus responds to him. Jesus looking at him, loved him. Now, you've got to ask yourself, why did Jesus only list the last six commandments and not the first four commandments? Come on, think about it. Yeah, he didn't have a relationship with God. And you see, Jesus is the master preacher. I mean, he knew, he knew exactly what this man's problem with, was. So he starts with the stuff that's pertaining to man, but he didn't deal with the stuff pertaining to God. Why? Because this man had another God. That's why he, because the fact is, no one on planet Earth has ever fulfilled, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall worship the Lord your God and you shall worship him with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind and all that you are. Yeah, that, that's the first commandment. Nobody on planet Earth has ever fulfilled that except Jesus. Not one man, not one human being, not you, not me, no one. But why didn't he quote that commandment? Surely he could get the man with that. And I love Jesus. He says he looks at him and he loves him. He has compassion on him. He just loves this guy. And here is a little bit of a riddle for us, maybe. How quick are we to pass judgment on other Christians because, well, they don't believe what I believe. Or they don't do what I do. I mean, Jesus is the one that gave the law, really. So... So he's got every right to give this guy a good tsh, 
you know, but he doesn't. He loves him. He has compassion on him. He's like, actually, I can see there's something in this man. He is desirous to somehow follow God. He wants to follow the commandments. He wants to do the right thing, even though he's completely missing the big point here. And he's not seeing the elephant in the room, which we'll get to in a minute. But Jesus, instead of looking at the man's faults and the man's problems, he looked at who he was and could see, actually, here's a guy that actually has something in him that's got potential. He loves, he loves the word. But one of the things that we need to be careful of, and I see this a lot in various different factions of Christianity, and uh, I'm not going to mention different ones, because well, I, I will mention this one in case they want to think I'm talking about something else. But for example, in the extreme end of the Reformed movement, so I'm talking what I call hyper-Protestantism, the hyper-Reformed, so this real strong Calvinist, there's a joke amongst, well, that we say of them, which says it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. I want you to think about that, because sometimes we lose, really, what this is all about. We become so focused on, on all these external things, but we don't become focused on the internal things, which is the rich young ruler's problem. He was obedient to all the, the six commandments, but he wasn't realizing that he wasn't fulfilling the first four commandments, which is to do with covenant relationship with God. He wasn't getting it. Because you see, if you don't obey the first commandment, you have broken every commandment. And as Paul says in Galatians, if you break one uh, one commandment in the Torah, you have broken all of it. Every single part of it. Yes, amen. <laughs> and Jesus looked at him and loved to him and said, Man, you only lack one thing. Now, this is what I love about Jesus. He knows there's an elephant in the room. The other guy doesn't, and now he's now going to make him see it. This is what I love about really godly men and women. They don't mess about with you. They get straight to the point. I remember years ago, I had to go and see, um, see this guy. And uh, he's kind of like a, an apostle and a church planter and stuff. And I went there to get some counsel from him. But, you know, I was a bit younger. I was a bit like, yeah, look at me, check me out. Right. And I was going in there and I had my pastor's coat on with the, uh, the, those things on the elbows and stuff. You know, I dressed the part. You know, I was, I was the man. And I went in there and he asked me a few direct questions. And I knew within two minutes that he had me worked out. And I knew that I couldn't pull the wool over this guy. He saw right through me and he saw right to the heart of who I was. And this is exactly what Jesus is like. This is exactly why the church needs like fathers and spiritual mothers as well. People that can just look, look at you and go, yeah, that's a load of rubbish, mate. Uh, this is really where it's at. Yeah. Uh, last night, please forgive me, but uh, I was watching that, the Top Gun Maverick film. And uh, you've got all these young uh, Top Guns, like they're probably in their 20s, that, that they all think they're the best of the best. You know, all bullshit and arrogant and yeah, I'm the best of the best, I'm the best of the best. And of course, then you've got this old guy, aka Tom Cruise, who really knows a thing or two. But they're looking at him like, oh, well, you're just some old guy. You know, you're, you're a relic, you're a dinosaur. 
until he goes and shows them that what they said was impossible could not only be done, but could be done in a quicker time than they planned to do it. And then it was like, whoa. And it's, we need people like that. We need people in our lives that are actually way ahead of us, way ahead of us, so that they can speak into our lives and actually say, you know what, this is your problem. Who wants, who wants to be told what your problem is? Yeah. yeah, good, most of you. Because I tell you what, it's great. I mean, that, first of all, that's what marriage is for, amen? <laughs> but secondly, if you're still not listening, it's good to have some wise counsel, wise mentors that can just look at you and go, actually, this is your problem. These are people that are spiritually mature. So if I want to go and learn about prayer, I'm not going to ask Aunt Flo down the road, who's only, only prays for five minutes a day and reads her every day with Jesus. Bless her that she does that. But if I want to learn about prayer, I'm going to go to a spiritual master on that. And that sounds a weird thing to say in church, but I, I would go to someone who really knows what they're talking about. I would go for the best of the best, because if I want to learn, I want to learn from the best. You know, those pilots in that film, they wanted to learn from the best. They got the best of the best. Amen. Hallelujah. And Jesus, he is the best of the best. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He didn't berate him. He didn't belittle him. He didn't make him feel stupid. It, he, he saw what he had done and he commended him for it. But then he gets to the point. You have, you lack one thing. Oh, good. Wonder what that is. <laughs> okay, now let's deal with the elephant in the room, shall we? The reason why I didn't mention those first four commandments is because you're in love with something else. And it's not God, it's money. So the first thing that God says, or Jesus says to him is, get rid of that money, all of it. Sell all of it absolutely every penny of it give it away and you might think well is this is this a salvation by works i must get rid of all my money before i get saved because that's not what jesus says he says get rid of all that and then follow me in other words deal with the rubbish in your life deal with that idol get it out and then you're in a place where you can follow me because you haven't got your life cluttered up with that huge big elephant stood in the room and then maybe then from loving me, you will obey my commandments. And then from loving me, maybe we could focus on the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. Amen. <laughs> oh, I hear the sound of bells. <laughs> now, a few months ago, I, I, I preached about getting Egypt out of our hearts and Egypt are those things that come in our life that come before God. And sometimes it can be the slightest of things, I mean, the littlest of things. It can be all about your emphasis. It can all be about where is your emphasis? Because again, my point is, whether it's God the Father, the Son, and God the Holy Bible, forgive me saying things like that, but I'm, I'm using that as a, as a point, is that sometimes we can take these scriptures and elevate them to a, such a point that we're using it as a whacking stick, as a pole, as a thing to judge others, when we ourselves are guilty of not actually fulfilling it and living it. Turn with me to James chapter 4. And this is from verse 11. Because you see, 
when Jesus dealt with this guy, he didn't, he didn't say to him, well, you know, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. He saw where this man was coming from and he loved him. And then he dealt with him in a very, very matter of fact way that didn't make the man feel condemned or judged or belittled. It just showed him some of the things that he had to sort out. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the Torah and judges the Torah. But if you judge the Torah, you're not a doer of the Torah, but a judge. There is only one Torah giver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? Now, I'm not talking about weightier matters like, you know, someone's kind of obviously living in sin or something like that, something that has to be addressed amongst your brothers. I'm talking when we're just looking at other Christians and, and, and saying, well, they just don't do what I do. They're not as good as me because they don't, they don't do the things that I do. So if I, I don't know, if, uh, if I was hardcore Anglican, it would be like, well, you know, and Catholic, I'd be like, well, I only eat fish on Fridays and I fast on Fridays, okay? And you don't eat fish on Fridays. You're a bunch of meat eaters and bacon eaters, right? So I eat fish on Fridays, and because I fast on a Friday, therefore I'm more holier than you, right? No. And I, and I could just go on and on and on and on with it. Because these are just like traditions of men, and even traditions of the Word of God. We say, well, isn't all the traditions of men bad? Don't they make the Word of God in no effect? No. Traditions of men is not bad unless it makes the word of God of no effect. Remember the context Jesus said that. He said to the Pharisees and, and Sadducees, hey guys, you have taken which the law of God says thou shalt honour your mother and your father, but what you have done is you've made up these other traditions that say, well, where I might have been good and kind to my parents, what I'm going to do is instead is that instead of giving you some money, I'm now going to offer it as Corban, which is a sacrifice, put that on the altar instead of helping you out because it's more about being super spiritual than helping you out. And that's what Jesus said. No, no, your traditions have made the word of God of no effect. In other words, your traditions have countermanded the word of God. So not every tradition of man is a bad thing. So, for example, when I get up in the morning, Mondays to, Mondays and fr to Fridays, I get up and uh, I read, I do some spiritual stuff with my kids. That's a tradition of man in our house. Is that a wrong tradition because it's a tradition of man? No, it's a good tradition. So there are things that we do. Well, you know, it's like when you celebrate your birthday or whatever. It's like, well, you know, some people are like, I'll celebrate my birthday, but not till 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Me, I'm like, it's six o'clock in the morning, I'll wait, let's do it. Okay? That's my tradition. Uh, other people are like, no, let's just wait it out. Let's wait it out. It's my tradition. Okay, so not every tradition of man is bad. And actually, we do traditions and customs that are based on our family and how we do stuff all the time, but we just don't fa we fail to see that. So not every custom, not everything that we do is immediately bad and evil because it makes the word of God of no effect. Because actually, some traditions actually encourage and enhance the word of God in our lives like discipleship you know where you get up in the morning and I don't know if you're a morning person or an evening person where you think right this is the time I sit down and I sit down with Jesus and we do this and we do that and we do that that's something that you have probably made up it's a tradition of man or woman and but God's okay with that right because it's helping you in the things of God so don't get too het up in a lot of this stuff Jesus looked at him loved him and said to him you lack one thing sell the elephant in the room give to the poor You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. 
I'm prepared to do everything. It's like that old meatloaf song. Like, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Okay, and it's, it's like that with God sometimes. I'll do anything for you, Jesus. Do that. But I won't do that. You know, you can have any part of my life, Jesus. You can't have that part that's mine. This man went away very sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, obviously after the man had left, because that would be awkward, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why, why? And his disciples were like, if a wealthy man can't get saved, then who can get saved? Because in Jewish thought, if you were a rich man, you were a blessed man. Amen. So if you had great wealth and riches, surely the blessing of Abraham is at work on this, on this individual's life because they're so prosperous. <laughs> and Jesus is like, yeah, sorry about that, guys, but actually it's actually really hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven. But actually what Jesus is not talking about here, he's not talking about rich people can't get saved. He's talking about perceptions of people that are easy to get saved. People assume that rich people are blessed, therefore they would be the easiest ones to get saved, right? No. In fact, it's no easier for a rich man to get saved than anyone to get saved because there's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous. Absolutely nothing on planet Earth can you do to make yourself righteous. Nothing. Now, I'm not talking about sanctification. I'm talking about justification. You are justified by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So if you want to be righteous, you live by faith. Faith in Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. Well, then you might say, well, surely believing in Christ is a work. Right? Because what can I do to, eternal, to obtain eternal life? Well, I gave my life to Jesus. Therefore, that's my work and that's how I got saved. Uh-uh. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by, for by grace, not your decision, for by grace you have been saved through faith. But, but Jesus, it was, it was my faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. What's the gift of God? The grace and the faith. Even the fact that you had faith to believe in God was a gift from God. So you can boast nothing. You can say, well, Jesus, if it wasn't for me, I wouldn't even be here. It's like, no, everything that you have and that you are, even your salvation is a gift of grace and a work of the spirit, not a work of the flesh. You cannot obtain salvation through works but when you are saved well then you've got good works to do then we come to that other word sanctification so this is the process of being made holy well how does one make themselves holy uh-uh, you can't but what you can do is that you can work with the word of God and the spirit of God and start walking in the teachings and the customs of the Lord and as you do so it opens you up to more of his grace and more of his blessings in your life and that's why the more you walk in the paths of righteousness, the more, we the more we walk in the things of God, the closer you can get to God, the more it opens up things to you in God. As I, as I learned to be more disciplined in my life, as I learned to yield my life more and more to Christ, he entrusted me with more. When we want to do things our way and we don't want to be accountable or we just want to do things our way, what happens is, is God will let you do that. Okay, if you, if, you, if, you want to, if you want to do that, you go do that. But unless you want to come to the place where it's humility and say, God, I want to do it your way. I want to live your way, not my way. Then God will take you and go, okay, 
I can use this individual. I can start to change them, melt them, mold them, shape them. But you are, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin has become sin, that you might become the righteousness of God. And this poor man here is trying to obtain the righteousness of God in his own works, not realising the life of Christ and what he's about to do. Hallelujah. Carrying on. Oh, this verse really annoys me. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's not that the verse annoys me, it's people's interpretation of it. How many people have heard that sermon where they go, well, what it is, is this old gate in Jerusalem called the Needle Gate, and for the camel to go through it has to take all its stuff off, and it has to go down on all fours like this, and, get, and it could just about squeeze through. No, you moron, it's hyperbole. It's impossible. You can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. Well, what about if I liquidise it? Pour it, it's still not going through the eye, the eye of the needle. Can't get it to go through. In, in, the, in the Jewish holy books, what's it called? Um, Talmud. It, says, it uses another metaphor, which is an elephant through the eye of a needle. It's like, it can't be done. In the um, Aramaic version of the New Testament, instead of saying camel, it says a rope, like a big fat rope, through the eye of a needle. Hopefully you're getting this, it's impossible. The idea that you can take a camel, take all its stuff off, and still manage to squeeze it through the eye of a needle gate shows that salvation is possible through works. It's just a load of nonsense. Oh, it makes me cross. It makes me so cross. Jesus is using hyperbole. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. In other words, that which is impossible, it's still easier to do that than to get someone saved. Jesus is saying, it is so fundamentally impossible to get saved and born again. It is, cannot be done through man's efforts. It can only be done through Christ. Only he can make the way. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing. With man it is impossible, but not with God. I remember speaking to a scientist once, and you know what he said to me? I don't like the Protestant faith. Why? He said, because there's nothing I can do about it. What do you mean? Well, you know, in other religions, you've got to work it, you've got to work at it to, to, earn, to earn your salvation. He said, but, but, but you Protestant Christians, it's like it's all through Christ. Oh, I can't be doing without. I want to I have something to do. I want to be a part of this. You know, I want to I I get into some works here so I can obtain my salvation. I was like, wow, he's an atheist scientist. He's quite switched on, really. He knows that if you've got to do it the Christian way, that it's got to be through Christ and no other way. And I think this is really what Jesus is trying to encourage us today, yeah. is that you can get yourself bogged down in loopholes and I must do this and I must do that. Now, am I then saying, am I preaching a gospel of antinomianism, which is basically do as you please? No, I'm not. What I am ascribing to is that all of us, wherever you are, that we walk in our relationship with God, ever endearing to walk more and more faithfully according to the scriptures. But then what you do not get to do is judge someone, your neighbour, because they're not as holy as you are. Because let me tell you, no one in this room, no one on this planet has ever fulfilled the first, the first commandment. No one. 
And Galatians says, if you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. That's not to say, well, why even bother then? That's not how we live. We live ever pursuing our God, ever pursuing. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. That should be the call and the heart of every Christian. I want to walk closer to my God. I want to be a holy person for my Lord and my Saviour. I want to walk a sanctified life. That's a set apart life for my God and for my Saviour. But what I can't do is... Hmm, she doesn't do this. She doesn't. She eats meat on Fridays. She's a pagan, right? That's, that's not godly. That's not honouring. Jesus is the only one that can save every one of us in this room. And when we get to majoring on minors and making this a book of, that causes division, making this a book which we use to smack people around with, then we're in trouble. Do you know who Jesus used the book to smack people around with? Was it on the sinners? Was it on the publicans and the unbelievers? Did he ever use the scriptures like that? Bang, you don't do this and bang, you don't do that. There's only two people he did it to. Satan and the Pharisees. Now these weren't just like, because they were good Pharisees of the order of Hillel and they were nasty Pharisees of the order of Shammai. Those guys, oh man, they were, they were like, they would, they would tie you up in knots. Well, you must do this, and if you do that, you've got to go through this loop, and you must do this, and you must do that, and, you, and so you do all these things, so you can get through. I, mean, I remember being in a charismatic church once, and they had the same thing, how to get your breakthrough from God. Well, you must press into this, and then you must kind of go around this corner and do this, and believe this, and get some prophecies, and then do that, and once you've broken through into that, then you can break through. It's, like, it's just this works-based breakthrough nonsense. That is not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is that we, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we don't get to judge our brothers and sisters because they're not as holy as we are. The moment you've judged your brother and sister, uh -uh, you've broken the law and you have failed. Amen? It's God kindness that leads to repentance. Remember, the only people that Jesus ever batted with the scriptures was the Pharisees and the devil. He never smacked around those weak in faith. He never smacked around those that were hanging in there by faith. He never smacked around those that were new to faith. He never smacked around anybody in that kind of way. It says in, doesn't it, Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not put, you know, a, a, a smoking, smouldering wick he won't put out, he won't break a bruised reed. He was gentle with how he dealt with people. And if we start using the scriptures to bat people and to whip people, I don't think it honors God. And I don't think it's the way. I don't think it's the truth. I don't think it's the life. So I want to end with this, because then some people might say, well, what if someone's doing something really bad? Surely you've got to, you know, you have to make a judgment call on that. Yeah, Jesus says, you know, if your brother is sinning, quite clearly, then go to him and speak to him. And if he don't listen to you, go and get a couple of others. Get a mob crowd. Go and get a couple of others and, uh, and then speak to him. And if you still don't listen, bring him to the elders of the church or what have you. Yeah, that's, that is the biblical way of dealing with stuff. And then if they still won't listen, then they have to go, unfortunately. So we're not, we're not saying you can't judge people in the sense of, well, they're quite clear they, they are in serious error. And I'm not talking about error as in your interpretation of error according to your specific breed of Christianity, I'm talking about error as in set down by scripture, like that's clearly not right, as in, you know, you're in sexual immorality or you're doing something like this, what I'd call more hard sin. But when it comes to, we don't do this or you're not doing that, or I like to eat meat on a Friday or I don't like to eat, these things are, these things are superfluous. And we don't get, we don't get to, uh, to, to judge other Christians about that. 
because the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, you help us. It's such a hard walk to live sometimes, Lord. It's so easy to judge our brothers and sisters. Lord, I'm sorry where I've done it. And Lord God, I pray you just forgive us. And I pray that as we walk into 2023, Lord God, that although we may be passionate about our, our part of the, uh, of the Christian faith, maybe we may be passionate about whatever side, whatever tribe that we're in within Christendom, Lord God. I pray, Father, always help us to keep our focus in the right place. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Lord God. And, and Lord, that you've obtained for us this beautiful righteousness, Lord Jesus that we cannot earn for ourselves, Lord God. But Lord, I pray that, Lord, help us in our daily walk to walk your paths of righteousness. Help us in our life, Lord God, to walk ever clearer to you, ever nearer to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we desire you. We love you so much, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just want to grow closer and closer and closer to you each day. And Lord, I pray through the power of your spirit, train us, disciple us, Lord God, and make us into children of God that go from one degree of glory to another. Amen. Amen. Amen.